0: Just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hey
1: everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we talk about your 17 and 40 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Isaiah Stewart deserving a spot on the all rookie team, tank watch, and our conflicting emotions on that Killian Hayes shot against the Clippers. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said... It's time to go to work.
0: work. 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 work.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased. As always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How are you doing, Ben? Well,
0: as I'm doing pretty good, about 14 hours of yard work put in this weekend, so I'm feeling like a very accomplished husband and dad. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Uh, I had my second COVID shot on Friday, and so like Saturday, I had a Friday afternoon, and so Saturday afternoon, I was like, had a headache. was thirsty all the time. It was like, okay, I'm gonna go take a nap until this like settles itself out. Uh, But, you know, we are now what 2048 hours past that. And I feel fine. And so I want to encourage everybody who is eligible to go get vaccinated. Like it sucked for a little bit, but we're through it. And that's the only way we're going to get through it.
0: Yeah, go get those shots people. I mean, um, to our Michigan listeners, if you're paying attention to the news, you know that Michigan is going the wrong direction right now. And uh, I also have been vaccinated. I had kind of a similar experience. I had about, about 12 to 18 hours where I didn't really feel well, ran a slight fever. But, hey, that's actually good news. It means your immune system is kicking in and doing what it's supposed to do. So they're safe. They're effective. We're not doctors. We're not scientists. But we know what the scientists are saying. Go get vaccinated. Let's get through this awful, awful pandemic.
1: Yeah. You know, we are not doctors, but anecdotally, like neither one of us have microchips in our blood. either. That's true. So I'm also
0: not uh, a professional (laughs) basketball coach or player and people listen to me talk about basketball. So we'll take that. too.
1: There you go. So be honest, Ben, when when Killian put up that shot at the end of the Clippers game, did you want it to go in or out?
0: (laughs) You know, Laz, a wise man once saying that you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need <laughs> and that is how I felt <laughs> watching Killian brick that jumper um you know in the moment when the Pistons are playing I've talked about this before like the fan just takes over and I want them to play well and I want them to win but look that you know they played tough they played competitive they they kind of fumbled the ball <laughs> down the goal line so to speak in the fourth quarter there but that shot missing uh it was probably a good thing
1: yeah I mean we're we're going to talk a lot about the tank and a lot about the standings this week and oh and extra win like would be bad but man it would it would have been nice to see that shot from Killian Fall but also like that was probably not the best shot they should have gotten in that situation <laughs> but also it shouldn't have been that close to begin with because they shouldn't have turned the ball over twice under 3 minutes yeah but yeah it's just it's a, it's a conflagration of circumstances that. Well, that and, led to you know, that watching Reggie
0: Jackson like knock down, I think he knocked down a three and then made the jumper to like win the game, right? Like, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the team has turned over quite a bit since Reggie Jackson was here, but going down to Reggie Jackson after he scored 29 points, I mean, that doesn't feel great either. But, did, you know,
1: did, did you see the video? There, there was a video of him and Luke like embracing in the locker room after uh, (laughs) after the game. (laughs) No,
0: I didn't. Oh man, yeah, that was. Well, uh... you know, it's fine. It's
1: fine. (laughs) That was pretty. That was pretty bittersweet. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. So happy for those guys. Rooting for those guys. Want those guys to succeed, but uh, at 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 our expense and in in our building, it's not a not a great feeling. I'll give. I'll grant that. What was a great feeling though is watching Isaiah Stewart play this week. Um, he had 15 and 13 and two uh, steals and blocks steals plus blocks per game this week. He grabbed a career high 21 rebounds against the Thunder. I believe that uh, he was originally credited with 22 rebounds, and that would have been that would have tied a uh, Pistons rookie record. Uh, but he was credited with only 21 on uh, like after they did they ran the stats again, and so he's like history adjacent, not quite history making, but history adjacent. Um, We've seen how he's out there, you know, uh, showing a lot of chemistry with Killian Hayes um, playing really well. Ben, you think like Isaiah Stewart is definitely going to be on an all rookie team, right? I think he has
0: to be right. Like, I mean, especially given that, you know, some of his best play is coming in the second half of the season, um, you know, putting up 21 boards, you know, that's, that's a headline for anyone, but when a rookie, a 19 year old rookie does it, I mean, I I think he's deserving. Uh, I think especially like he's been knocking down some jumpers, some three point shots, some mid range game. So he's scoring a little bit too. Right. I I think he's just gotta be, he's also finishing some lobs, right? (laughs) Like, you know, he hasn't been known for his above the rim sort of play. Uh, but he and Killing have hooked up a couple times and that's been fun to watch too. So, I mean, he'd certainly be deserving, you know, his, if you look at his, you know, his per game averages, they don't jump off the page at you, you know, some of that's a function of minutes, but he certainly had a really strong second half of the season. And I hope the, I hope the voting members are paying attention to that.
1: Yeah. You were, you were talking about his minutes earlier this week, right? He's played the, what the fewest minutes of any first round or he's played fewer minutes than who Sadiq. And yeah, they're yeah.
0: killing so his minutes per game are like, in it's on the margins, right? Like it's like 23, 22, 21, or something like that. But his minutes per game are the lowest of the three first rounders, which is, I think, unfortunate because I think you know he and Sadiq have obviously both been strong, but to me, like I'd give him the edge as being kind of the most consistent, productive player. Sadiq uh, may be a higher ceiling, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean his minutes really were a pet peeve of mine in the first five to 10 games when it became pretty clear to me that he was an NBA player waiting in the wings. And, uh, you know, I was at that point in the season, I was kind of peeved about the Mason Plumlee contract and, you know, wasn't, wasn't totally convinced that we were you know, doing things the right way. So, you know, this week when I looked at it, I was like, you know, for him to be the, the lowest of the three in minutes per game doesn't feel proportionate to his production. Um, but I mean, really it's, it's a couple minutes per game and hopefully like, I, I hope they figure out a way by next season that we're still not having this conversation. So they, they almost have a weird log jam where they've got Mason Plumley who's having a nice productive season on a reasonable contract. And this, this young kid who's obviously deserving of more minutes over the long term especially like, as he continues to develop offensively in ways that obviously Mason Plumlee is never going to do. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I do wonder like what would his rookie averages look like if he had been getting 25 to 28 minutes a game consistently all season? Um, you know, but Hey, we'll take what we can. Anything, you know, anything we've seen from Isaiah Stewart this season is more than we expected. Right. Like we did not have, super high expectations. So the fact that he's earning comparisons to guys like Andre Drummond and Ben Wallace, obviously, uh, you know, two of the best piston centers to to ever wear the uniform is a a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I'm even thinking about it in terms of not as in terms as lofty as, you know, Andre Drummond and Ben Wallace, but even in terms of other rookie big men, right? Like he's had a much more um, effective Rookie season than James Wiseman. You know, Wiseman's obviously hurt right now, um, but you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of uh, a lot of trepidation around the progress or lack thereof of, of James Wiseman. It seems like Stewart's outplayed him. Um, our good friend Xavier Tillman down in Memphis has had a pretty good season for for the Grizzlies, but I still think you know, between the youth and uh, the the bigger flashes of perimeter scoring that we've seen from Isaiah Stewart. That you know he's he kind of outplayed uh, Xavier. We've seen guys like Moses Brown come up from the G League and be uh, extremely productive in terms of like points and rebounds, uh, but not necessarily again for like in a, for an OKC Thunder team that's struggling to win games, just like the Pistons have. Um, and so it's not necessarily you know having an impact on winning. But with all that said, right, like I think there's definitely going to be a great case for Stewart to be on an All Rookie Team. Um, And when you combine that with Sadiq's case, it's going to be really weird. The Pistons are going to have two all-rookie guys, and neither one of them are going to be the picks they took in the lottery.
0: (laughs) Yeah, kind of an unfortunate situation there for Killian.
1: Yeah, yeah. Could have been three. Could have been three. All right, Ben, the uh, next guy I wanted to talk about was Josh Jackson, actually. Josh Jackson, in his 11 games since being moved to the starting lineup, and I, I was looking at this and I was like, I can't believe it's already been 11 games since he was moved to the starting lineup. Oh, yeah. But he's averaging 15 points, four rebounds and two assists a night on 46% from the floor, 51% from three. Yes, 51% from three and 75% from the line. You know, obviously, the, the shooting is unsustainable. He's not going to shoot 50% from three forever, but he's done a great job of embracing that starting role, hasn't he been?
0: You know, he really has. And, you know, for Josh, so much of it is about when his shot is going in, like it's just so much easier to look over some of the silly mistakes that he made. Um, You know, the thing about Josh that I love is how aggressively he attacks the rim and how aggressively he defends, you know, he's still young enough, right? Like he's still young enough that he could actually continue to improve as a shooter, you know, I'm pulling for him. I hope he does because, you know, I've talked about on the podcast, you know, some of those shooting stats just don't look favorably on him. Even with the recent, like, sort of good play, it, it still doesn't look great for him. But am mm-hmm. telling you, if this summer, if he can really develop some consistency in his jumper, um, you know, he, he, he turns himself into a really interesting and valuable asset. I think, you know, if he can be a consistent shooter – you can certainly imagine him rounding out the rotation of a pretty quality team. I think,
1: yeah, and I think he's the he's the type of player that that Troy Weaver would like to have in that starting lineup, right? He's another you know long, athletic guy with with the potential for shooting. You, you mentioned the way he attacks the rim and, and defends. Um, I uh, you, We saw it in the, uh, in the Oklahoma City Thunder game, right? Him and mm-hmm. Lou Dort were just going at each other, uh, you know, possession after possession. And, and you want somebody who competes uh, like that on the court. But as we've seen, you know, this is the evolution of his role, right? He was coming off the bench earlier this year and mm-hmm. he was, you know, finding ways to, you know, fit into the offense. And so he's not necessarily a guy who you know, has to dominate the ball, but, but he can, but he's also like effective in in a more off ball role. They've run some, like, you know, they've run some sets for him to, you know, be, a sh- to act as a shooter. I remember uh, there was a set, there was a baseline at a bounce set where they had him like flaring to the corner for a three. And so like, he can, he can do a lot of that stuff. And so, you know, the athleticism, the length, the versatility, you know, he, he fits with this team. And so I would not be surprised if, Like now he's kind of a long-term starter at shooting guard and long-term means like 18 months, not like five (laughs) years. Like let's let's not get crazy. But um, I do think that like, that's, that's not, that's not what I expected right at the beginning of this year out of Josh Jackson. It's just one more thing that has uh, surprised me about this Pistons team this year is, is his play. It's like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of uh, and how long they can retain him as well, since he's only, uh, he's only on a deal. That's got one more year after this one. And so I'm, I'm sure, you know, if he likes it in Detroit, I'm sure he likes it at home. We'll see, you know, how much contract-wise the, the Pistons think he's worth. You know, they, they did trade for Hamadou Diallo, and so you assume they want to, you know, retain him as well. And then a lot of the guys at the top of this year's draft class are also kind of shooting guards or, or small forwards or in that, in that same role that Josh Jackson would play. And so you wonder about the squeeze there in the future. But, yeah, I I think Josh has done a great job of, like, carving out a role for himself on this team and for the future.
0: Yeah, and, you know, he's playing for his next contract, too, right? Like, he is certainly a reclamation project. And, look, as the Pistons rebuild, you know, Laz, you've talked multiple times over the past, you know, six to 12 months about how the Pistons and Troy Weaver developing sort of this player-friendly sort of reputation is important you know, I think there's something to be said for being a friendly destination for free agents who are looking to rebuild their careers. You know, as a rebuilding team, you want to take sort of the second crack at those guys, right? Like we've seen Weaver do that with Jackson and, you know, DSJ and potentially others. I think there's value in maybe sort of developing that reputation as well.
1: No, I agree. I agree hundred percent with that. Uh, As You know, being a guy that, uh, Agents want their guy to come to you because they know they'll get the opportunity to develop and be developed. I think it will be you know beneficial for a team who can't you know attract the, those top class, those top tier free agents uh, like the Pistons. Yeah.
0: Well, and thinking historically, like um, you know Chauncey Billups, who we just saw you know sort of on the bench for the Clippers, like he was sort of that right. Like if you look at his career tra- trajectory, is kind of almost on the brink Top of becoming five pick, a journeyman. Right? Yeah, right. Like he was almost on the brink of becoming a journeyman who hadn't really panned out. He comes to Detroit. He finds his perfect role. And it's like, a, you know, a historically important member of the franchise. So like the Pistons have that history as well.
1: No, definitely. All right, Ben, the Pistons are 17 and 40. If my math is right, which is not a guarantee. <laughs> that is 57 games played. There's are 72 games le- in, in the season as a whole so they have 15 games left again my math is not great but i think that's right <laughs> so ben how many of those 15 games should jeremy grant play in <laughs> it's a
0: good question like i was thinking about this um i think it was last night you know like what could the pistons do really to secure the tank like Casey's playing everybody. Like we've even seen Servetus, right? Like we've, seen, we've <laughs> yeah. seen him play in real minutes. So like, you know, the team just plays hard enough and their rookies are good enough that they win some of these games that, you know, other teams are losing. So, you know, maybe shutting Jeremy Grant down or at least alternating his rest days makes more and more sense. Having said that, the one thing I really haven't seen that I want to see is him and Killian play together. Um, The Pistons used this in the past week, they used three different starting lineups over four games. I'd really like to see like, you know, him and some of the young guys like Killian and, and Grant and uh, Sadiq and Stewart. And I don't know who the other guy is Diallo or Jackson or somebody like throw some fifth guy out there together, but like, that's the one thing I want to see, and if that happens, out of like in seven of the next fifteen, and Jeremy rest all the rest of them, and maybe Killian rest the rest of them too, like that's what I would really like to see. Because uh, to me, like obviously Jeremy Grant is part of the next couple of years. Killian Hayes is proving himself, in my opinion, over the last several games to be part of the future as well. Let's let those guys play together for seven or eight games, and then just let them rest on the off nights.
1: No, I agree, and I think that. Benching Jeremy Grant or resting Jeremy Grant or injury managing Jeremy Grant or however you want to phrase it is definitely the thing that gets this Pistons team uh, to the talent level of some of the other teams at the bottom of the conference. Um, It's also going to be good for Jeremy long term, I think. Again, I've, I've talked a bunch about this this season, but he's absorbed a lot of punishment. Um, And played, you know, more, maybe not more minutes, but more, more minutes as the focus of a defense than he ever has in his NBA career before. Um, He sat out three games on the road trip, um, you know, not that long ago, and the team still managed to kind of soldier on and they, they won in Sacramento without him. Um, And so it, it would not surprise me if we see Jeremy, you know, only play, you know, eight or nine of these next 15 games. Um, but you're right in that, you know, the Pistons should also focus on like when they play him, it should be with purpose, right? It should be next to Killian and next, and next to guys who are going to be part of this team's future and not necessarily just like playing him 35 minutes a night, just to play him 35 minutes a night. This is, this is evaluation time, right? Like you're, you're trying to figure out the, the, the basis of what you're going to build on for next season. And, and so you, you have to do that like purposefully, right? You can't just, you can't just play out the string uh, with, with these games. The only other thing I also wonder about is if sitting him uh, weakens his most improved player case. Um, He has already kind of done a good enough job of weakening his most improved player case for himself. Um, He has not been the same guy since like the first uh, 25, 30 games of the year. Um, He's averaging 19 points in a mere like three rebounds and three assists in his last 15 games. Um, I don't know if that's something that's like the team focus. Like it'd be nice for the team to get, you know, recognition on a league wide basis for like the the work they've done with Jeremy Grant. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if like uh, the, the tank is more important than whether or not Jeremy Grant wins most improved player. Right.
0: Yeah, and I think if you look at, like, the Vegas odds, for example, um, Arturo Galletti pointed this out to me last night. Um, Julius Randle looks like a lock, at least in Vegas, for MIP. Um, So, you know, Jeremy has, I think, played his way out of contention. I think you're probably right. But, like, especially, like, if the Knicks push the playoffs and continue to make noise, like, you know, uh, they were in national broadcasts last night for example if you were watching um and,
1: and today and today they won yeah, the national tv true. today
0: yep like i think julius probably wins that so yeah i i think let jeremy you know he he's proven that he can score right he's proven that he can do a whole lot by himself and i think the prog- the progressive fatigue is real um You know, I was thinking about this last night, too. So I started looking at his splits um, in the debacle of a game that we were playing against the Wizards.
1: Anything to not watch that game. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, getting dunked on by Russell Westbrook with flying one-handed alley-oops. But, like, if you look at his um, quarter-by-quarter splits, it's really interesting because some of this is a function, I think, of minute distribution. But it's also interesting to me, I have noticed anecdotally that Jeremy really starts games strong. Like his first quarters tend to be really, really good. So I was like, I wonder if this is actually true. And I looked at the one through four quarter splits and like his strongest quarters, uh, it's first and then third and then fourth quarter is like his weakest Quarter. So I'm also wondering if like there's a game-by-game level fatigue that's happening as well, and if maybe there's some minute management that needs to happen throughout the course of the game, in addition to just being tired from playing and carrying so much weight this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you look around the league, right? Other teams are arresting their best guys like we we talked about that game with the thunder uh where where both teams seemingly rested anybody over the age of 25 um you know we we had a we had a situation where the actually i wanted to what did you what did you think about this the the raptors were fined twenty five thousand dollars by the league for violating the league's policy on player rest and injury reporting now like what that actually means is that um, like Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry are fine and healthy and um, were not given like any injury designations, but we're still, you know, rested for a couple of games. The Raptors played last week. Obviously Toronto is uh, out of the play in picture. I believe they're like 12th. And so they're, they're kind of pseudo tanking, but it seemed weird to me that, you know, one team got fined for this when like, you know, detroit's doing this oklahoma city sat al horford you know immediately after the deadline um for no reason saying like hey like we we just want to look at the younger guys um you know other teams are are accomplishing this so what do you think about that ben
0: yeah i think i saw that the spurs got fined as well i think i saw that come through on the espn ticker today um i think it's absolutely fundamentally stupid and I, am surprised by how strongly I feel about it because $25,000 to an NBA team is like literally nothing. I find like in <laughs> my, my cup holder from a year ago when I used to drive my car places, but like, you know, here's how I want to start this conversation. If you look at the playoff bubble from a season ago, my opinion, that was some of the most exciting high quality basketball the NBA teams have played in a very long time. And to me, like, it underscores just how difficult it is, even for the best athletes in the world, to perform at a high level 82 games a season in an NBA schedule, right? The bubble eliminated travel. It eliminated, um, you know, home court advantage, air quotes, right? Like, and you had the several, you know, weeks of, rest, mandatory rest because of the pandemic leading up to the bubble, right? So we saw this incredible high quality product play itself out uh, in in the bubble. And it was just fantastic to watch as a basketball fan this season, right? We get like this compressed schedule with as many games as possible. um, Guys getting hurt and tweaking old injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it just sort of is this incredible contrast between the bubble and reality Um, And look, the only conclusion I can come to and tell me if I'm crazy is that the NBA as a league values, the money that they generate by having either 72 or 82 games, as opposed to shortening the schedule a little bit, eliminating back to backs and minimizing travel time, which in my opinion, like definitively and objectively improves the product. So that's a really long answer to like, I think the whole, the whole policy is stupid. Like, Guys want to perform well. They want to be healthy. And when there's nothing to play for, like there's a, any given play could result in a career ending injury. So to rest your best players when there's nothing to play for, to me, just fundamentally makes sense. The only counter argument I've heard that is at all compelling to me is, um, you know, and it might've been Kelser and Blaha now that I think about it. Um, You know, if you're an NBA ticket buyer, you're a fan, you're buying a ticket to go to a game, you're paying to go see someone in particular, right? Like, you're a Pistons fan, but you buy the Pistons-Lakers ticket because you want to see LeBron and Anthony Davis play, right? Like, if they're resting that night, that really sucks for you as a fan. But, I don't know, to me, that just doesn't hold water to... The fact that keeping guys rested and keeping guys healthy, like from a big picture level, just improves the product as a whole, and it's better for the players, uh, right? It's it's better for them as individuals. So anyway, long no no short question. I think it's an absolutely stupid policy. I think they should get rid of it, and it's it it would just be better for everyone that way.
1: Well, and you think about this year, right? Like fans aren't allowed in stadiums (laughs) in great numbers, right? So the the potential for you to miss Anthony Davis and LeBron James in person for the only time that season is a lot lower because there's only 4000 people allowed in the stands instead of, you know, 20,000. Um and so that that's even much less of a concern uh than it used to be. Yeah, this is you're not crazy, Ben. Uh, I think everyone kind of agreed that this season was going to be mostly about the money and we're seeing the we're seeing the ramifications of that, right? the the raptors in particular right like moving their entire operation from toronto to tampa you know playing all their home games in tampa not being able to see or you know having to decide logistically like what you're going to do with your family for an entire year things like that like i like it i can't i can't imagine on a human level like what this year has been like for the raptors and it's shown on their on-court product right um and the other thing that kills me is that the, the league the the league has you know changed the way the draft is run? They've they tweaked the lottery odds to dis, disincentivize tanking. They expanded the play in. They created the play in tournament as a way for uh, giving you know more teams something to play for towards the end of the season. Um, but like the the league the the rules still favor you know if you are not going to make the play in tournament and don't want to make in your organization decides they don't want to make the play in tournament, the, the league rules favor, you know, losing as much as possible. um And, and so it makes sense to, to not play your stars. It makes sense to not, you know, uh, to, to try and develop your young guys. You know, even if, even if, you know, like the Raptors, you didn't come into this season thinking about you came into this season thinking about the playoffs instead of developing your young guys but once you find yourself in that situation right it makes it makes all the sense in the world to just you know try and get into a good enough percentage slot at a top draft pick that you know you can make a, a major impact on your team right away with with one of these high draft picks and so yeah it's just it's it's really foolish to me for the league to be like making a stand on this especially after the you know, we, we saw the spate of buyouts, right. We experienced the whole Blake Griffin experience you know, we saw Andre Drummond's buyout. We saw LaMarcus Aldridge's buyout. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, that situation didn't work and we wish LaMarcus the best in his retirement, but um, you know, the, <laughs> there are, there are incentives that are brought up by the way the league is structured and there are unintended consequences of those incentives and so if you want something to change, you, you have to change the incentives, right? But in the meantime, you can't punish teams for responding to the incentives that you laid out, right? It doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. It,
0: it doesn't. And, you know, I, I think, yes, the draft lottery is a super interesting question, and I would love to see it. I, honestly, I think the best solution is some sort of, like, schedule right? Where it's not based on performance, but it's some sort of a schedule. That is the only way to, I'm not saying it's the best. It's the most equitable. Yes, correct. It, it gets rid of the incentives. The other thing though, I'll, I'll just drive home is like, think about Blake Griffin's career and how dramatically it was impacted by rushing back from injury in order to play in the playoffs. You know, think about Kevin Durant rushing back to try to contribute to an NBA finals and As a result missing an entire season like the risk of injury is just so real and totally unpredictable and totally random that if you know that there's absolutely no benefit to your franchise winning any given game if there's no other reason than mitigating the risk of injury like you just you have to let players and individual teams make those decisions right like they're the ones who are impacted by it, not the league.
1: Yeah, and I think like we see we see successful teams. We see you know teams who are going to make the playoffs still make a point of injury managing their players because of how important it is to have those guys healthy for the postseason. And so it you know it makes even more sense to preserve their to preserve guys' bodies if they're not going to be playing in the postseason. And so. Yeah, we, we can uh we can we can move on but like yeah this is has been a has been a uh has been a like gnawing at me and I'm I'm gl- glad I don't know it's it's interesting to me that it's been gnawing at you as well.
0: This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay.
1: Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down we break down who will be cutting
0: Just go to frito com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4 twenty twenty three. 2023 Void prohibitive. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
1: i right, Ben, the tank watch. The tank watch is on. The Pistons are still the worst team in the Eastern Conference. They have the third best lottery odds right now be- behind the Houston Rockets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, the Orlando Magic have only one more win than the Pistons with 18 wins and they also have one fewer game played than the Pistons. Uh, Oklahoma City, Sacramento and Houston are all one and nine in their last uh, <laughs> 10 games though Gosh. and uh, outside the play in tournament. you know Sacramento is I think Sacramento could be in the play in tournament mix if they weren't one and nine in their last 10 games, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so that's what one, two, three, four, five, six. Six teams, uh, that we're jockeying with, Ben. How how good do you feel the Pistons end up in the bottom three?
0: Not good, <laughs> not good at all. Um, like Oklahoma City, just because we've played them twice recently, like they are just full on tanking, right? Like, and they're bad. They are really, really bad when they take off. Uh, you know, they take away their best players. I'm not feeling great about it. I'm feeling like. That five to seven worst case nightmare of mine just keeps knocking on my door, waking me up at night. Laz, that's how I'm feeling. How are you feeling?
1: I feel fine. I think that, like, Orlando just beat Chicago uh, earlier this week. Orlando, I thought that that would be an Oklahoma City level tank job, but they've managed to find a way to win games. Um, the the Bulls have won fewer games than the Magic post Vucevic trade, which was an, in- an interesting bit of trivia that we uh, learned after those two teams played. Um, the, the Timberwolves actually are I believe they're four and six in their last 10 games, and they've been playing uh, much, much better just offensively since the the replacement of their uh, head coach with Chris Finch. And so they look like a team that could absolutely just like sneak up and win some unexpected games. Um, they're obviously a very talented team. who just like, wasn't putting it together earlier this year, but so that there are teams like below, like the Minnesota thing below the Pistons is not as worrisome to me. The thing that I am most worried about is like Houston, Houston looks really just not disinterested in winning games. Um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma city, like you mentioned, and then um, Sacramento finding a way. To, to Sacramento is a talented team. Like we, we we played them on the on the on the West Coast trip, but man, like when when they start losing, they just they just can't stop. And so I I think you know the five thirty eight projections still have the Pistons um, as the third worst team uh, when the season ends. Um, I think they have Orlando as kind of the, the closest team to to mucking that up, but uh, Orlando has played better than expected, and I believe. If I remember correctly, Orlando, to, Orlando and Houston play each other tonight. And so that's one of those, like one of those teams has to win situations <laughs> that makes everything better for the Pistons. Uh, and we'll see a couple more of those. Um, but yeah, the Pistons don't play that many other tanking teams down the stretch. I believe they play Orlando a couple of times. And they played Minnesota once more, I believe, already having lost to Minnesota this season. It'd be beneficial for them to lose that game again and specifically. And I think we saw we saw with the Oklahoma City Thunder game that, you know, the front office is aware of this stuff, right? They're going to rest the the more experienced veterans for these games against these other teams who are also trying to tank. And so that also makes me feel better about uh, the way the tank is going to run out. I don't think we're going to win every single one of those games, right? I don't think all those games play the way the Oklahoma City Thunder game played out. And, you know, if you if we go back to the first half of that game, they, they could have lost that game. Right. Like Darius Baisley came out, you know, hot. You know, Lou Dort played really well in that game. They they could have lost that game. They yeah. just they just didn't. So, it, it yeah, it is what it is with the with the tank. But I f- I feel fine that they'll end up bottom three. But it seems really unlikely that they'll end up lower than that, which is probably the the worst part of it.
0: All right, Laz, I'm counting on you. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say.
1: All right, Ben. The segment time, the Pistons (laughs) awful thing that is annoying me this week. Uh, With the return of Jaleel Okafor, we get this week's annoying thing for me, and that's when he palms the ball, (laughs) because as soon as he palms the ball, the possession is over. He's going to post up. He's going to spin over his left shoulder, and he's going to get a shot up, and It's probably not going to go in. And that's that. You know, (laughs) we we talked about how much we love Isaiah Stewart and his play earlier this year. You know, we talked about how perhaps, you know, we should cut some of Mason Plumlee's minutes to further develop Isaiah Stewart. My fear is that less Mason Plumlee will also mean more Jaleel Okafor. And I will have to watch Jaleel Okafor palm the ball. And that won't be fun. So, yeah, that's the thing that was annoying me this week.
0: I am suddenly hoping for Jaleel Okafor to channel his inner Michael Jordan and do like the fake (laughs) one-hand pass. No, the fake (laughs) one-hand palm, and where he—I forget who the defender is, but he like fakes the one-handed pass, and the defender like turns around. YouTube it, youngins, you'll find it. (laughs)
1: Uh, All right, Ben. What was the uh, what was the annoying thing that's annoying you this week?
0: Well, it's not so much an annoying thing as it is just general observation. I really, really don't like games where Killian is resting compared to games where Killian is playing. Like I have been, disregard the numbers because his numbers are still not great, especially if you look at shooting. But I just have really enjoyed watching him play and he has really rejuvenated what was really sort of a waning interest in the the closeout of this season. Um, I'm so struck and taken by his maturity uh, his court vision. He's had some fantastic highlight level passes uh, in transition, even in the half court as well. And so when he doesn't play, like having to watch Corey Joseph dribble the air out of the ball is just demoralizing. So that, that's the thing that's that's bugging me this week and, and probably the rest of the season, if we're being honest.
1: Yeah, it, it seems unlikely that he'll play like back to backs the rest of the season, which Makes sense, right? You, you had a severe injury. You don't want to exacerbate it. You do want to make sure that he's healthy, like we talked about earlier this podcast. But you're you're absolutely right, Ben. the The Washington game where he didn't play, it felt, uh, you know, it it felt like you know unobservable, like nothing happened in that Washington game that mattered because he didn't play in it. And so, yeah, I'm I'm 100 with you on that one. So. Next up, you tweeted earlier this week that we are now at the point where my NBA diet become, or we are now at the point in my NBA diet where the Pistons become the side dish rather than the entree. Let the palate cleansing begin. So Ben. Who are your entree teams? Who are your teams you've been watching <laughs> as you uh, relegate the Pistons to the side dish?
0: And thanks for cleaning up my uh, typo slash grammatical mistake that was in the original tweet. I do appreciate it. Okay, so here's what I am hoping for. Um, every year about this time, maybe a little bit earlier, this is kind of a weird year, um, with the Pistons being so bad for the majority of the last decade, and you know, the last handful of years being really focused on being a dad with really young kids, you know, I have to budget my sports time and I budget it for the Pistons for the first 80% ish of the season. And I just dive into the playoffs. Like for me, I just absolutely love the playoff push and you know the NBA playoffs where you've got like several games of night of the best players in the world playing. Like this is what being an NBA fan is all about to me. This year, I can't say that I have focused in yet on the main dish. But what I really don't want to happen is for Brooklyn and L.A. to end up in the finals. because I just don't like either of those teams. Sorry, Andre Drummond. Not enough for me to get over the Lakers. So I'm hoping for somebody to play spoiler to one of those two favorites. So, um, you know, Milwaukee, ironically, finding itself as in, in a position to potentially play spoiler would be super interesting to me. Or maybe like, um, you know, a crazy first round upset or something like that. Like So that's what I'm pulling for. Um, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll have that narrowed down, but, but ultimately right now that's, that's kind of where I'm at.
1: It's interesting. So, so would, would like Phoenix or Utah being in the conference finals be an upset to you, despite the fact that I believe that those are the first and second seeds in the West. Does that feel upsetting enough because those are, you know, non-traditional, non-large markets?
0: I think that'd be amazing. Like Utah, like, so I'm just old enough to remember, obviously, Utah running into the buzzsaw that was Michael Jordan's second three-peat. You know, they're a franchise in a town that I think has done a whole lot of winning, but not really won a lot you know, in a way that matters mm-hmm. Phoenix small market, kind of the same sort of scenario, both have super interesting, young dynamic players. So I think that would also be a whole lot of fun, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is definitely a season where the best record doesn't make you the favorite. I think that's a good observation. And if, if one of those teams could upset the, the quote unquote favorites, I, th- I think that'd be so much fun. I would love that.
1: Yeah. I would, I feel so bad for the fans of the Utah Jazz who have done nothing but decimate everybody in their way the entire season and no one believes that they're like any threat in the postseason yeah. the numbers say like you know they're the numbers say they're the best or second best NBA team like by a long way but uh no one no one believes in them because we've seen them lose in the in the first round the last two last three years yeah, there's that no, the last two years because they, they had the Donovan Mitchell series against the Thunder. That was interesting. But yeah, I, I I agree with you that this is like this would be a great year for a, you know, non coastal team to find itself in a with a lot of playoff success. You know, my big hope was Denver. You know, Denver was playing like a championship team you know, after the Aaron Gordon trade, but, you know, with the injury to Jamal Murray, I fear yeah, that, tough. you know, that, that won't be the case. Um, we saw, I, th- I think, I think Nikola Jokic is playing at an MVP level. Um, my fear is that, you know, people just don't want to vote for him for MVP for some reason. And so he won't win it, but you know, the, the numbers and the impact statistics back up the fact that he's been an MB, an MVP caliber talent this year. And so like, yeah, I think. I think that's part of our, like, burden as Detroit sports fans is, like, you never catch us cheering for the L.A. teams or for the (laughs) New York teams, and so I'm right there with you, Ben. Like, we we can't let that happen.
0: (laughs) Or the Celtics, which, ironically, they could could play spoiler, and I would feel super conflicted about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ben, the Pistons play the Cavaliers on Monday. They play at Dallas on Wednesday, at the Spurs, at San San Antonio on Thursday on a back-to-back, then at Indianapolis on Saturday. That looks like a, a, that's a pretty good week for the tank, isn't it?
0: You know, it should be, but this team has a way of winning games they shouldn't. So it does, though. I mean, it feels right, especially that Cleveland game. If they could lose that one, I would feel good.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and you know I I hope Killian plays in that game. Um, the that was the first time his size on an NBA court really stood out to me when when he was playing next to the the you know the shared six two backcourt of uh, Garland and Sexton. It's like oh yeah, he's way bigger than those yeah. dudes. Like there's a great chance he has like an impact in that way. But yeah, losing that game would be nice. Uh, Kevin Love is back for them. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, Kevin Love is the Kevin Love of 2015, <laughs> and, and, uh, and the Pistons can can find a way to lose that one. All right, Ben, uh, good pot this week, man. Let let the people know where they can find you and where they can find what you've been up to this week.
0: Yeah, well, I've been I've been relatively quiet, man. I've had a kind of a crazy couple of weeks personally, but at br Golker on Twitter if you care about non-Pistons content, I think I'll probably be tweeting more about that in the next couple of weeks. And of course, at Detroit bad boys podcast posts in particular, it's fun to hear your thoughts and feedback about the pod.
1: Yeah. I think, I think we will all be tweeting about not the Pistons in about 15 <laughs> games or so. <laughs> and of course you can uh, read me doing so on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. All right. Thank you for listening to the Detroit bad boys podcast. And we will talk to y'all next week. See ya.